0: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, I'm reconnecting with a butt I haven't seen in a while, Jamie Morgan of the band Code Orange is on the show to hang out and, uh, and chat. All Things Music, but more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can send an email to that, and it'll go to my brother, who's the show producer, and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for everything you do for this show. And he will get the message to me. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way of supporting the show is by telling everyone you know that you love this podcast and that you're listening to this podcast, or you can also subscribe to it, rate it on iTunes. I really appreciate all the people that have been rating it on iTunes. Thank you very much. Uh, you can, uh, um, head over to Patreon. There's a Patreon page, patreon.com slash turned out a punk, where we put up footnotes. We have a good time over there. And I really appreciate everyone that's supporting that thing over there as well. And uh, speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind support of the fine folks at Vans. Thank you to them for all that they've done for this podcast and uh, continue to do for this podcast. And uh, that's it. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Okay, so diving into today's show. Today on the show, it's Jamie Morgan of the band Code Orange. Jamie's someone who I met uh, when we went on tour with Code Orange years ago with Terror and someone who I've always thought was you know, a real awesome person to hang out with, and it's been an amazing thing to watch Code Orange go from being this band of of, of young kids uh, that we're on tour with to a band that's been nominated for rammies that's doing songs for wrestlers and i don't know it's just such an awesome honest band to see it happen to that i've i've always been stoked for them and it's great to get them on the show uh jamie does not pull any punches and uh, i'm not gonna waste any more time by rambling on so sit back relax and enjoy for pittsburgh week on turn out of punk jamie morgan of the band code orange turned out a punk <laughs> Jamie thank you so much for coming on the show thank you very much man good to talk to you I know as we we're just t- saying off air it's been been a long time I knew you when you were kids. Yeah, literally. For literally. Sure. And now it's now grown into grown-ass adults. But uh, I've always thought your band was fucking incredible, and I've wanted to have you on this show. Uh, but i got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Jamie, how would you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah,
1: I think it's th- when I was – I got into it like pretty early because my parents are really young, and uh, my dad was into – like my parents had me when they were like 17 and 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So my dad was into like – public enemy but also like you know he was like on the fringe so he's into like black flag and you know like minor threat or whatever so i kind of always heard that stuff and then when i was in middle maybe like yeah when i was like 12 uh there were some kids around me who were into like green day and stuff so pretty much got into it through that just knowing about it i had like i remember i had when i was in elementary school like like a sex pistol shirt. And like, you know, I didn't know what any of it was or anything, but just cause my parents were so young and they were kind of like a little bit into it. And then yeah, I got into, uh, that kind of, uh, bigger or like rock punk kind of stuff. And then just kind of kept spiraling off from there. Did your parents go to any shows, do you know, back in the day? Yeah. My dad was actually, uh, good friends with one of the dudes who is in, um, Dillinger four. That's I forget. Awesome. Yeah. They went to high school together and shit. Um, in Chicago. Um, I forget the guy's name,
0: but uh, he was in Billingsgate. So. Yeah, I was going to say it was someone from Billingsgate. I bet that's
1: my wicked. dad was like good friends, or he—I don't know if they were friends, but they knew all of them like them. So I heard a lot about them growing up. Yeah. Oh, that's badass. Have you ever run into Dilger Four on the road or anything? Nah, no, I've met. Uh, I feel like I met somebody. I, actually, yeah. No, wait, we i'm trying to remember we had some kind of interaction with them that with that that where that came up at some point with somebody (laughs) i can't exactly remember but yeah my dad knew all those guys and my dad had like a rap group type of thing too so yeah that did his rap group ever put out music no, I actually didn't find his music until uh, we found, like, one thing of him actually rapping because you kept it, like, super secret. Yeah. And my mom, like showed it to us one time. <laughs> but, yeah, my parents, yeah, they, like, we were, like, my, they had my sister before me. So I think they had my sister when they were 17, 18, me, like, 19, 20. So they were, like, really young. And they we, in my mind, next sister, next but They're still together, actually, which is crazy. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: That's, that's like, you know, for life. That, that's such a record. Yeah, it's, it's literally insane, yeah.
1: Well, like, my parents are in, like, their 40s, which is insane. Yeah. Because so, I'm, I'm 26.
0: So. Yeah. Oh, so what was your uh, first concert then? Because I guess they were, you know, probably still, you know, actively into music. The first concert concert I went to was,
1: like, Foo Fighters and Red Hot Chili Peppers at some Chicago, like, outdoor thing. But I remember we left. And then, like, the first... Actually, first concert I th- I went to like I think it might have been Lincoln Park or something because I remember the schools did this thing where they gave you they gave a list of shows and you could get tickets to one show. It was like some crazy promotion thing. It was like concert, <laughs> and so I think we went to Lincoln Park and some other stuff. But I didn't really know like what all that was too much. And uh, yeah, then a lot of my early shows were like local. Like we like Code Orange booked our first show completely when we were 14. Like we rented out an art gallery, booked it, booked all the bands. So like we were doing like our own shows early middle school, my my old band. I was in a band, uh, like a pop punk band. And we used to book our own like kind of high school shows and like battle the bands type things, but like not just at school, like all kinds of stuff.
0: So what was that pop punk yeah. band called? I'm not saying. <laughs> Why they, can't it. they can't find. They can't find it. There's no. stuff out there, though. I don't know. I don't
1: fucking know if there is, if there is, they'll find it. I mean, there's there was like a documentary. And everything that we made, like about ourselves, so I have fear. I remember we shot a music video at like the like after school program in uh the in, the in the north side of Pittsburgh in, in it's called Manchester neighborhood that uh my keyboardist G- Shade grew up in. But uh, it had like they had like green screens, and we shot a whole music video in front of the green screens. And it's like we're me- I, I don't know what it looks like now, <laughs> but even then it was like one of the most psychotic looking. Like I thought like that band was gonna like we were going to do it. Like we played like clubs at one point when I was in like seventh grade, like we opened up for bands at like one of the bigger clubs here. And like, we were really uh, doing stuff. So then that band broke up. So like when we went into code orange, I was super serious about it. literally from the jump, I was like ready to, it wasn't like a game to me like at all.
0: What was the scene in Pittsburgh? Like, like, you know, for this previous band, like what kind of bands were you playing with? Cause like, I love like the history of music in that city. is just so rich and so incredible. Like punks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, we didn't really get even into to that layer until like early code orange kid stuff. But like this, we would just play like, like anything from battle of the bands to like, we ended up doing some like contest type of thing where we could open for like five, like grown adult, like bar bands basically. <laughs> so we, we seriously did do that. It was insane. And, uh, at one point, we like – dude, we were so popular in middle school that at one point later in high school, we did like a reunion. And like the other kids in Code Orange were like, this is the crazy!" like people were like going <laughs> insane. It was like people were stage diving and shit. It was like completely psychotic. So I don't know. We had something with that. But I just tried to transfer that magic over. But yeah, then when we got into Code Orange and we started meeting like adults. Yeah. like really, but We were really young, but we were meeting a lot of – adult and we got into punk which you know got us into hardcore and you know you know how it
0: goes well i mean other than those 40 year old bar band dudes who you had already been hanging out with
1: yeah well i mean kind of that was very like our parents would come you know like stuff like that or like my parents would or one of them or like the, the the other kid in it his dad was like a popular like jazz bassist in the city and he would come and you know, we went to a performing arts middle school and high school, but they were public. So it was like you would do an audition to get in, but it was free, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, everybody there did music and stuff. So we, you know, we were all so music minded that it made sense. Like all the teachers would play gigs and stuff. So it just like, it didn't seem weird like at all. But looking back, like I was literally 12 playing a club that we just headlined on our last <laughs> Record and we're like really psyched about it. We were literally 12 years old and it was like an insane reaction. (laughs) But I don't. I need to find videos of that shit.
0: Well, I was gonna say there's no way those 40 year old bar band dudes had better followings than your band did, dude. No, we would kill it. We would literally sell like 200 tickets. And so like they started
1: like that kind of led into Code Orange like. Though we were kind of going, like, we would kind of help sell tickets to those shows early on, too, in high school. You know, that's how we got on a lot of stuff, like, with the local, like, there's like kind of a legendary, like, Pittsburgh promoter kind of nuts guy named this dude named manny here who like had kind of like a stranglehold on all the art galleries and stuff that would do shows and he would like put us on and make us sell tickets and stuff and we we did all that too that was before we kind of got that's before you kind of get integrated into a scene you know what i mean so then once we got integrated into the scene we were like fuck all that but
0: you know it it took some time well it's funny because it's like it it kind of like that forces you to become part of the scene. Like, you know, you have yeah. to, you get exploited by a shitty promoter and then you're like, Well, there's gotta be a better way than this.
1: You know what though, when I look at it, he was kind of a cool guy. He was just another he was just another he was just another carny, Just trying to yep. do his thing. Yeah. Whatever. He was a cool even even now I'll see him sometimes and you know, I'll like give me the nod. Like, I don't know, really, he's a he's a gigger. But yeah, like, you know, we kinda we would uh you know yeah it's 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 like we we were caught in the in between that's the thing about being from here for us. there's no one that really showed us like the ropes of genre, which I think has really led into our how we are now for real, which is like we were just figuring it all out, so we would like one thing that was like totally opposite scene of whatever else. And we just didn't get it for like a really long time. You know what I mean? And it kind of seeped into our music. Like people – like the first Code Orange demo, people sometimes try to make fun of us and say like we did like a ska demo. And really like it's not a ska demo. It's got a ska song, a hardcore song, a metal song, a punk song. It literally has every kind of song, which is just like – that's just how we kind of came up. It's like we didn't know what the fuck was going on. We were just doing whatever.
0: Well, you were also super young when that first demo got recorded too, right? Yeah, that demo was when we were 14.
1: And then (laughs) the real – yeah, or 13 maybe. The real like Code Orange kids like demo as I call it or like as we like really like saw it was 2009-ish or something. So that would have been like 11 years ago. So I would have been like 15. Yeah. So that was when we started like getting into hardcore and, you know, different kinds. But, but, you know, it's – Yeah. We we play with every kind of fucking man. We used to play with the cross punk bands, the ska bands. We used to play with behind enemy lines, who was like dudes from Oz Rotten. And they're like, oh we used to play we play with the fucking menzingers at a house party when we were fucking 14 and everyone was like all, drunk and like on coke and stuff.
0: <laughs> like it was insane. Well it's funny because also I think that's a Pittsburgh thing too, where like, you know, like there's there's definitely bands that you could kind of like lump into a genre, but like it's also a, a place where, like, you know, there's just so much different stuff comes out of it. Like, everything from, like, Operation Ivy to, like, Presidia totally. can have roots to that city.
1: Oh, we, fo- yeah, we fucking loved Operation Ivy. And we also loved, like, noise music. And we loved, like, out- I mean, this is early. And then, like, as you, you know, as you get older, it's like everybody. It's like, I mean, you know, you harden and then you almost, like, come back around a little bit. I think that's just, like, life, you know? But, like... Yeah, we, yeah, we, the first place we would kind of play Code orange kids besides like galleries and, uh, like stuff we would rent out like high school. Like I used to organize this like high school show thing and at the high school show thing, every fucking person would leave when we would play. It would be all, like, we would have, like, the, the cool, like, stoner kids had, like, a funk band and, like, everybody like that. And then there was, like, this kind of, like, bro sort of, like, 70s jam band thing, you know? Yeah. And we would fucking play, and literally the whole place would empty out. And I would be booking the fucking thing, and I was so <laughs> bitter. That's when my bitterness, like, really started. Like, see, like, uh, dude, be, we were a bitter-ass band because everyone fucking... It felt like everyone hated us, kind of, you know? So, because we sucked, and our music made no sense, and it was just complete chaos, so I understand why. But now, but at the time, I was like, we are the best... It's kind of like how I feel now. We're the best band. Why don't they fucking get it? And it was like, you go back and look, and it's actual just, like, noise, chaos, screaming. (laughs) But, yeah, so we would play those kind of places, and then we got... We kind of started trickling into... we, We start. I remember we used to play this, like game place where you could go like play like joystick games and stuff and there was a back room and that's yeah we would put with behind enemy lines and all kinds of weird punk bands and and then that kind of turned into the house party thing and then the house party thing kind of turned into me me going to more hardcore shows and meeting people at like Roboto project which i'm sure you're familiar with oh, yeah definitely and uh and that's kind of how we got into we were still in a kind of punkish hardcore and then we kind of met people that were more into like the heavy side of hardcore and it wasn't super, it wasn't super divided, you know? So it was kind of like, there was a lot of crossover. Like I remember the dudes, the dudes who kind of, a lot, in a lot of ways brought us in, do you know the band no time from yeah. that's from, you know, well, some of those dudes and they're in a lot, they're in all the bands right now, but they were in a band called heartless. Okay. Okay. And heartless was more like metallic hardcore, almost akin to like, it was basically like nails. Okay. And they loved yeah. Nails. Like, it was like Nails at the beginning, when nail when Nails started. And, you know, it was kind of like, it was hardcore's take on whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So they that kind of started getting us into heavy hardcore. And then we, so we met people that were more into metalcore, and, you know. It, so it just, it kind of spider webbed out like that.
0: And what was like, you know, like you mentioned, there's like a hardcore, hardcore scene, and there's like a crust scene, but there, that, I think the thing with, Cities like – outside of you know New York, obviously, bigger, huge cities like that. But like other places, there is that kind of bleed over where there is that kind of crossover yeah. Yeah. kind of vibe too.
1: Yeah, there there was a lot of – like that band Heartless was a band that really – they bridged the gap in a lot of ways before. Honestly, I feel like in some ways they kind of went one way and then the, the other shit went the other way. But like Heartless was friends with my buddy AJ, who AJ is sings in a band now called Face Wreck. And they're, they're, they, they're like, I don't even know how to describe it, but he, he, and he was in this band Path to Misery, who was like a more metallic, like political metalcore kind of band. And he was booking hardcore, hardcore shows. I mean, he was like one of the guys booking, he had a venue here called Planet of the Apes when he was like a teenager. And he booked like Everything. I mean, every popular hardcore band. He booked My Chemical Romance. He booked everything. Uh, so he kind of bridged the gap in a lot of ways, and he was the guy. He's still one of my best friends, but he was the guy who took us on our first tour, like when we were in the middle of high school, and drove us on our first tour. So the gap was kind of bridged. It just kind of divided itself a little bit as it went on, and like we kind of went one way. And but yeah, that there we would play uh, this one place I remember we would play is called Helter Shelter, and it would be like. A whole mix of bands and it would be there would be noisy noise kind of stuff like a lot of guys who are still involved with things here like i think one of the guys we played with this band drug lust and he uh runs like the big record store here now i think it's called uh cruel noise or something but uh yeah so it's just i don't know it's just it felt like branches on the same tree it never felt too divided and as we went on it became more so but it didn't really to to us feel like that at least.
0: Yeah, like, it seems like as things go on and things get bigger, it's when people can kind of, uh, you know, choose more and pick and choose more and kind of, like, separate. Like, you don't have to play with the jam band anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, as soon as – well, for us particularly, as soon as we started getting popular, which none of the bands around us were at all, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of, like, an outside the city kind of thing. They were all great, but nobody did anything really. Like, they a tour a little bit. It started becoming splintered. Like, we started – You could just feel the turning on immediately. It was so quick. And it it was very confusing at the time because we didn't feel like we were doing anything different, you know? Yeah. But things around you start to change and it kind of – we kind of ended up going with one side that are kind of all still our friends today still, like from that time. Mm -hmm. And then kind of maybe the more punk side kind of went its own way, you know? But yeah.
0: So when did you guys go on that first tour?
1: The first like – well, we did one thing really early in high school that was like we played like two shows with like ska band and like somebody came around and with a fucking hat and the money that was put in the hat after you played was how much you got paid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there was no money put in the hat after we played. But the first like actual little tour we did was – yeah, my friend AJ, uh, he drove us in his like veggie oil converter van and I remember distinctly – the decision to bring our bass player, Joe, who wasn't our bass player at the time, was the difference between us having to bring a trailer or not. So I was like arguing with AJ. I was like, we've got to bring him. Like, I need him. He's my, he's, he's my best friend. And AJ was like, fuck, all right. And, and, and so we brought the trailer and he came too. <laughs> but he wasn't in the band yet. But uh yeah, we we played like a school of rock in New Jersey and before the set, this dude gave a speech about how he was a virgin and how that was okay and all this shit. And then we played. It was completely psychotic. Was and like then
0: a, it was like an actual school of rock type thing, like Yeah, it was a school of
1: rock. Straight sure <laughs> up. Yeah. And that was when my AJ again, he taught us to how to hustle. He pulled us all aside and he was like, You guys gotta go up to every single person and try to sell this tape so we can make money to get home. And so we just went up to every person at the show and we would like try to get them uh to buy it. And then that kind of was like our game for like a long time. We would we would hustle like that like for for a couple years for sure. What was the first tape then? The first tape that we had that was like legit was it was I think it was like Demo 2010 or something and then we had one called Embrace Me, Erase Me and it so kind of built from there. It's before Cycles? Yes, that's before Cycles. And then all that stuff was cycles the demo the tape that was all the same vibe and it all was in my mind building up to this lp we were going to do and like even if you look at the art it's kind of like the same thing we do now you look at the art for all of it it all leads into that lp and like the lp references all of it not that anyone gave a fuck at all and still doesn't but it was all like the same you know it was like (laughs) the same story right and then we did that and that built to that lp that love is love return to dust lp
0: Oh, that's awesome. So did you have that kind of like all mapped out when you're doing that 2009 demo? Yeah, I mean, not the first demo, but like you look at yeah, the font is demo. the same yeah. on the first. Yeah.
1: yeah, the font is the same on that demo, uh-huh. you know, as their album. And it's building. I mean, it wasn't like, it's kind of like how it is now. It's like I go by the, by the, by kind of, you know, by how it grows. But, you know, and, and when we got finished with that LP and we changed the name and stuff, that was really, truly for two reasons. One, it just felt over. Like that was like all those ideas I had were gone. I literally had no more ideas for this like incarnation of the band basically. Mm -hmm. And two, we thought the kids thing wasn't going to live very well (laughs) for very long. (laughs) So we're like, this is a good chance to just change it up. Let's just like fucking change it up. So yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Was that like a, you know, obviously like it's a natural decision to happen, but like, was that something you wanted to do for a while? But you're like, fuck, we're stuck with this. Like this is coming from a guy in a band with a swear word in the name. So yeah. I know well, it's all name about though. name issues.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we came up with the name when we were really young. My dad helped me come up with the name and it was like, it was like going to be about like the terror alert system. Because when we like first started the band, like we were still really into punk and we were even into like, an- like anti-flag is from Pittsburgh. You know, that was kind of the ba- one the band that kind of transitioned us from like, you know, green day to getting into like, quote unquote, real punk or whatever. Right. So, and I still love those guys, but yeah, they, they, so we were, it was kind of like had political themes a little bit and, uh, and that's kind of how I grew up anyway. So yeah, so that was kind of the basis for the name. And then it kind of just became our like gang's name, like around town, everyone knew us as like code orange kids, code orange as friends, like anything we did, you know? So it just, it's, it's stuck cause of that.
0: Uh, did you guys ever
1: play with the anti-flag early on? Oh, yeah. We won a... So, Anti-Flag did this really cool thing where they were like, submit yourself and we'll put you on our show opening, you know? Uh, whoever's the best Pittsburgh band. And we won, or whatever. We submitted our thing and they picked us. So, we got the play. They treated us really well. Like, brought, like it was really cool. Like, they were like the coolest dudes, honestly, mm-hmm. even from then. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a couple years later, we actually toured with them for, like, once we were already really going after I Am King came out and stuff, we did a little tour with them. So, uh yeah, but yeah, I the, the, we played with them early and they were really helpful. They've always just been super supportive of us and I, I still talk to them all the time.
0: I, I love the fact that there's like this sort of like, you know, uh, handing down and stuff that still goes on, you know, and like the fact totally. that you can trace Anti-Flag back to like Pleasure Heads and Immoral Squad or, or God Squad and all these. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, like it's still like it's all submachine and all that stuff's all connected too. It's like. I don't know. There's like a real lineage in that town.
1: Definitely, and that and that it's it's all. You know, that's the thing. Like one weekend, we would be seeing fucking Rick to life do twenty five to life shit with like a <laughs> yeah. tape at a house show. Yeah. And you know, I actually remember with a <laughs> like tape. He, yeah, like he would play play shit on a tape and like sing. So. We saw, we, we, like me and Joe saw. I can't remember, I can't tell too much about the story, but I just remember one time we saw, we were at that show and all these fucking like gang dudes rolled up on the house and like they locked him in the house and like me and Joe tried to like escape. We were like, we didn't know what was going on, you know. So it was, we would be going to see shows like that. We'd be going to, you know, then we'd be playing with the fucking Menzingers. Then we'd be playing, you know, we would go see Melt Banana. At, like, a church. I remember that was, like, the first fucking crazy show Joe ever saw. And he was like, I love this shit. And we were like, fourteen; he sweet song about banana. Like, just going completely psychotic. And, you know, when we were young, we op- – Teenage, we opened up for the Misfits. We opened up for Subhumans. Uh, you know, so it was we were just doing every which way of stuff that you can do.
0: What was the Misfits lineup you guys opened for?
1: It was just Siri only and a bunch of people, I'm pretty sure. It was like,
0: it like uh, when he had, like uh- – uh he had like who do you, he had like he had like Marky Ramone playing for Yeah, him? I think it might have been that. Yeah, I think
1: this was probably when was it? It Had to be like 2009 or something. 2008. Oh, so, wow. okay.
0: Yeah. So you're still like very much in the early incarnation of the band then.
1: Yes, yeah, that was again, that was kind of that era of opening up those kind of shows was more was before we kind of met, you know, kind of found our community, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that was like we were still I would call that like ninth grade pretty much. <laughs> In ninth grade, that's what we were doing was opening up for misfits and subhumans and we were fucking moshing. And I remember like Joe got like thrown out of the show for like moshing too hard. It was <laughs> just his own show. Yeah, dude, we were just all fucking mixed up. We didn't know what the fuck was going on, but it was all good. We found something we we loved doing, you know? And then I remember early on we we met, you know, once we started kind of playing hardcore shows a little bit, we met, you know, like Weekend Nachos came into town, all those guys. Mm-hmm. and we met them and full of hell and they were close to our age and we became really close with them and they were one of the first bands we kind of toured with.
0: Yeah. Like I guess I was going to say, where did that connection come from? But I guess it's those bands touring through town. Yeah. They came to Pittsburgh. I can't remember
1: exactly how we met, but I remember we just met, I think it was through those heartless guys. We met through them and they would kind of book everything and, yeah, they came to Pittsburgh and we just hit it off and we became like really good friends and we did like a tour. We did a bunch of tours. We did a tour in Europe with Circle Takes the Square, where me and Dylan booked the tour and then we just messaged Circle Takes the Square on on MySpace. And just were like, Do you guys just want to like headline the tour we already booked? And they were like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> and they just I guess they had heard of us both and they were like, Yeah, that's cool, and they just came on it. And then uh we would like fucking like Fuck with them on the road all the time. They would be pissed off at us like all the time. And uh yeah, Austin Full of Hell. We're in the same van for like that whole tour, so it was. <laughs> we were just like piled on top of each other. And we did tours here. We did a split here. We went and recorded it together, like literally in the same three days in
0: Baltimore. And yeah. So how did the split fit in with the LP and uh and the demo in Cycles? Like, was it part of the the idea, the plan, or is that like something you can kind of do as a separate thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, like when I say plan, it wasn't, it wasn't even as much as it was. It was more like an aesthetic thing. It was like I'm gonna bring these, keep the vibe consistent. You know, that was my, my, my thing, and have musical things that would kind of hint to each other and stuff in a light way. But yeah, that was kind of like a side thing. We still kept it in the same thing. I'm pretty sure I was very insistent that both things were in our font, both bands, which I think they ended up being. And like we collaborate on the art. Kimmy, who did all of our art, did the art. And uh she did all of our art up she did I Am King too. And forever actually. She did like all of our art until this one. Uh and she was like my best friend. She was just another kid. We my next door neighbor, basically. She was literally my next door neighbor. I went to middle school and high school. Yeah, she did the art for all that stuff and any splits we would do. I said she had to do the art. Like I remember we did a four way split with Tiger's Jaw, The World is a Beautiful Place. And um self-defense family mm-hmm. and she did the art for that and same we were all in our font again i'm pretty sure <laughs> just like shit like that it's the type of shit where this is why people are fucking mad at me all the time my whole life but
0: <laughs> it's that split though like you know I, i'm not as familiar with uh the world's a beautiful place but yeah but you know like, like tiger's jaw and self-defense family and of course yourselves like it's wild how all those bands are so different, but all those bands are really significant now when you kind of look back on it. And Well, like,
1: well, that's the thing. Again, it kind of plays into how we would be playing all these different roles. Like, I almost completely forget that, like, yeah, we were playing hardcore shows, but we were also playing with those bands because we went, we went out of town. The first time we went out of town was to a place called West End, this place in Ohio, Ashtabula, Ohio, that our current sound guy, whose name is Matt Barnum, who also plays and writes everything for a band called Homewrecker mm-hmm. from Cleveland, he booked it and it was his venue and he ran it. And I'm pretty sure that's how we met a lot of those guys. Like That's how we met Tiger Shaw. Was because they played there and we played there together. Okay. And then the, we, there was this house venue in Pittsburgh we would all play called uh, 222 Armsby. And they would do a lot more of kind of like emo, punk, pop punk kind of bands. And we had like an emo ish kind of band also. So that
0: band would play. It was just all confusing. But- <laughs> I guess it's also why your band is so hard to pigeonhole, as you're saying, like genre wise. Like you guys were, were always kind of you know, like you're obviously a very aggressive, heavy band, but it's not like, it's like, oh, it's a mosh core band or, oh, it's a beatdown band or, oh, it's this. It's like you've got so many other influences coming in there in addition to like just straight up hardcore.
1: That's for sure. And like, I think, you know, that for all that, in all of our music, there was always like, quote unquote, mosh parts of stuff. We always thought that, we always thought that was just part of it and loved it, you know? And then when we, when we met, you know, like again, my buddy AJ is kind of the one who gave us all these CDs to listen to, and that's how we found out about Converge and Earth Crisis and Hatebreed and the style of hardcore we kind of really ended up gravitating towards, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, which was popular here, which was like, you know, metallic hardcore and metalcore and kind of like 90s hardcore. And so, yeah, that kind of... You know, and and we would listen to Converge and they would blend stuff. They were a huge influence on us, obviously, especially Mm -hmm. at the beginning. And uh, the way they would blend stuff and we would take part to that. And yeah, the way we ended up actually being on Deathwish was we played a show in like a warehouse that Converge plays and we opened and they saw us open and then they signed us like right after that.
0: Yeah, like Converge is one of those bands that, you know, like even even if bands don't admit it, they're being influenced by that band. Like it's just a... a Oh, yeah you know like a paradigm shifting band.
1: Oh 100%. Yeah, we they were a huge a huge influence on us and yeah, I remember we were so blown away. Actually my friend just posted a picture. Now uh, this this guy used to know, took photos of me like crowd surfing and and like Jake Bannon like my, giving me the mic like in the crowd. And that was the show where yeah, then like a little bit right after that they he signed us to uh,
0: Deathwish. So. So I guess going back to that I am King Record like What, how did the shift change for you? Like, you know, um, you know, obviously there's a sonic change, but like what, you know, you said you finished all your ideas on love is love. Like what was the new approach?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, it's for me, one, one, and you know, actually before me and you talk, I've actually never done an interview even close like this where I've gone through all this kind of stuff because, the way my mind works, it's very hard for me to to unblur because I'm so forward, like to like almost like a. Sometimes it's like an unhealthy degree of like nothing feels good. You know what I mean? It's always forward, next thing, next thing. So some of it's blurry, but I'll do my best. But uh, yeah, when we when we did, uh, you know, basically we did. Love is love, and it's just, it, we started, one, getting more integrated into the hardcore community, and part of that was we were brought on tour by Terror. Mm-hmm. And so Terror brought us on a tour with Terror H two O and Backtrack, and we kind of pretty much begged to get on the tour. It was that coupled with a small, a short run that we did with a band that's still some of my best friends, which is Bane. And I remember our still booking agent, this guy Merrick, who kind of he used to work in the Deathwish building, like the office, like right next with them, and and he worked for Matt Pike, and their agency was basically synonymous with Deathwish. So he picked us up, and I remember him telling me the story recently, actually. So Zach from Bane is our guitar tech now, Mm -hmm. and he was telling me a story about Merrick calling him, begging him, like, please put this Code Orange Kids band on your guy's tour. And he was like, dude, I'm not putting some fucking pop punk band. He's like, he never heard it. He just heard the name. He's like, I'm not putting this pop punk band on. He's like, please. So he put us on this run in uh, Canada, and that kind of spearheaded to us. Uh, getting on like terror's radar. And so we ended up opening up that territory. And so, you know, we started getting more integrated into the hardcore community. And of course, like, you know, we were learning about more, you know, one of my favorite hardcore bands ever is buried alive. And so we were getting me meeting, you know, Scott and we were learning more. And I feel like it obviously seeped its way some into our music for one. But again, the, the real chunk of it was, This has run its course. We need to rebuild the house. I just felt that strongly in my heart. I felt this isn't what I want to be. This isn't where we want to go musically, aesthetically, vibe-wise, performance. And we need to rebuild it from scratch. That's honestly how I felt. And I knew we were going to get a lot of shit for it because people would say we were trying to do this or that. You know how it is, but... We wanted to rebuild it, and that was that. That record was kind of the blueprint. It was like we're going to build from this, and we're going to stick to this, and it's all going to build from this until the end. Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of the decision right there.
0: And it did like that was like kind of you know obviously you know we were we went on tour with you guys before just before that record came out I think yes and uh, but after that record came out like it was you know you were a force before but like that was like when it was all of a sudden like oh shit Code Orange is is the band
1: well i feel like what happened well yeah so we part that that terry h2o tour kind of parlayed into scott i think putting us on tour with you and you guys had brought power trip pretty much yeah it was kind of like y'all pick power trip he picked us and we went on that tour and we were so fucking psyched because it was like big shows for us it was like the biggest shows we ever played and uh yeah so that again that yeah that started and then at the same time we met i remember we played this worcester metal and hardcore fest and we got done and the band twitching tongues was playing after us and they all just came on the stage and we were done playing and we didn't really know anyone honestly we didn't have like any friends and only friends were local none of no bands from our area had ever t- fucking toured or known and knew anybody at all so we you know they came up to us i remember and they were just like you guys are like the fucking sickest band ever like who are you guys basically <laughs> i mean I've never heard of this but it's amazing and so yeah we we kind of became more integrated and then we uh yeah i mean that record we just had such a we i, I kind of started going through you know i've i've a lot of the records previous mainly because i was uh, really young but also something i still struggle with were very much about like depression and feeling very just bogged down at all times by these super depressing, uh, I, I, you know, these, 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 just, just, just feeling dragged down by my own emotions, constantly and thoughts and like compulsive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I was sick of fucking writing about that. And I was like, I want to write about what I want to be, you know? And I want to write about what the things, the things around me that piss me off and, you know, the hardcore obviously, but, I wanted to try to manifest, you know, our path in some ways. And that's what basically the 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 crux behind the record is kind of cheesy, I totally get as that sounds on paper. That's that was what the record kind of became uh that's kind of where the the seed was planted for the record.
0: And and it was kind of like manifest destiny with that record. Like, you know, now that you say that the name, the title makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't necessarily pick it up from listening to the record what you're saying yeah yeah but 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 when you say it like it's funny how it, it happened
1: yeah i mean I, I didn't want it to be like a record that was all we're you know put this posy like we're <laughs> the we, we gotta stay you know whatever but i want i still wanted to hang on to a lot of the kind of emotional aspects that the previous records had but i just wanted to take it into a different direction and you know, that record was a lot about rebirth, reincarnation in a lot of ways of like, of, of who we, who, who, what, what we were allowing ourselves to feel and what we were deciding that we already were by what we had been putting out there. I felt like previous to that, which was like, you know, so. Negative, like, and it's still very negative. I mean, the records are extremely negative. Don't get me wrong, but in it's in a different way. It wasn't so woe is me. It was so fucking woe is me. And I just I felt like I got to change this up. I can't be dragged down by this forever. And you know, we knew that. You know, and and that kind of it kind of started becoming more than that as we were kind of doing it. And and, you know, all that stuff kind of plays into the records now, even. But yeah, it very much became the the day one. Uh, blueprint for what was to come and yeah i feel like we did manifest something there by just continuously putting it out there to the point where it became a problem in some in some ways in mm-hmm. our own community and uh with people because we were just very vocal about f- saying we're the fucking best like whatever that was it and we were like we're just gonna keep saying it until it happens And that was it.
0: But it's almost like you need to believe that and you need to have that in order to succeed because if you don't believe it, no one else is going to believe it. 100%.
1: And, you know, I do believe it. (laughs) That's the problem. I have never had to – you know, from that on, I've never had to force myself to believe it. And the reason is because I knew we really worked so hard. We toured so hard. We practiced every day. We thought out everything Every aspect of our lives was built around this. We were together 24-7. We're still together 24-7. I, I'm i in the same house right now as two of these other motherfuckers. Still. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we lived together. Yeah. So it's like, we just, you know, we, we had to find self-worth, and we had to kind of weed out those around us who saw otherwise, honestly. And, you know... Kind of, kind of try to take our own path, take take our destiny our own way, you know. And again, that all sounds like some fucking Tony Robbins like cheesy shit, but whatever, you know. That's it worked for us, and it still works for me because I still have those thoughts and feelings, and uh, I it helps me push forward. It pu- push forward through that built in bitterness that I think I have.
0: Well, but yeah, but like you said, you guys, you ground, you grinded it out. Like you were you were on tour constantly, and also, like it wasn't like. You had a big band that was touring that you kind of got to ride the coattails of uh, from your town.
1: Oh, definitely not. Yeah. But, you know, I got to give credit to a couple bands, which is, you know, obviously Converge for putting Mm -hmm. us on the tour. Terror, Every Time I Die, was one of the first bands who ever brought us out. You guys, obviously, you and Terror on that tour. Uh, And then, yeah, so, I mean, there was a couple bands who started – bringing us along and uh but yeah up until that point not at all we were just practice every fucking day we're so naturally bad at like our instruments and stuff man we've had to practice so hard to just become proficient like we're not we're not you know i think we have talent in some ways in terms of capacity for ideas but in terms of like physically playing like we and you know we've had to really work hard so i think that's where the confidence that continues to just build from that
0: yeah well of course like it's earned confidence
1: i think so i mean and even at times when it wasn't i still thought so So i don't know i'm a fucking psycho i have zero clue i could be wrong right now i don't even know but that's the way i live my life and we try not to to, you know we always tried even then not to disrespect anyone with that but Mm -hmm. you know people get disrespected by that no matter what Mm -hmm. that's what we kind of found out the hard way about halfway through that I Am King record, you know, for in in ways that, you know, it's not even worth saying, but it's just we we learned that, you know, a lot of people we thought were our friends and, and this and that that we just met through this world they were not our friends at all, and so we kind of burrowed back down, and that almost became the next record forever in a lot of ways.
0: You could you could have asked Ti about the issues of calling your record King. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: well we it was at first everyone fucking loved it (laughs) at first in hardcore dude it was i seriously shit you not i remember the first show we played on i am king we had built the whole thing up and i had a real strong vibe for how i wanted the aesthetic to be and we kind of we kind of brought back in a lot of ways we would do those promo because we would see those like 90s like everything from victory records to like house and chains like black and white like promo photos that they would like mail out to people. And I remember telling Trey from Death was like, we want to make these, like, mail them out. And he said, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, nobody fucking does that anymore. He's like, it's stupid. And we did it. And now bands do it again, which I think is great. But no one really at that moment was doing that, especially in hardcore. So we were kind of, like, throwing it back to stuff and trying to also push it forward as, a little bit by being just being different and wacky the way that we are and the, our setup. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I remember... You know, we were, we were, the first show on that record was in Indiana and we were super late. Like our tire blew out and we we're like two hours late to the show. And I we remember talking to the promoter and I was like, Is everyone just going to leave? Like, should we not show up? He's like, Dude, there's a lot of people here. I was like, What are you talking about? I was like, How many people are there? And I was, telling him, I was like, There's no way. Cause, dude, we had never played to anyone. We had never, when we would play headline shows, no one was ever there on, on Return to Dust or with Full of Hell. They've suffered through the same thing. Because I was right there with them. Just playing to no one. And I remember we rolled up to that show in Indianapolis and it was fucking packed. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? That was the first I Am King show. And then every show was packed. I mean, every show on that whole tour was packed. It was insane. And we were selling like fucking 10 grand and shit. And we literally were selling $100 and shit up until that. It was it was like what the fuck is going on, and like I guess the vibe and the whole aesthetic and the the music and everything, and it was like all stuff we loved and we wanted you know it's what we wanted the band to be and what we liked, Uh, but it just clicked and it worked and so we yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because like you know most people would have had many bands before that and would have like done their different bands, but it's like because your band is such like it's like such a strong group of people it's just kind of like it's that band that you've watched evolve
1: dude they're at the end of the day we're best friends like we're best friends in a way that i don't think 99 percent of bands can relate to because it's there's not a day there has not been a day this whole time since the last time i saw you where i haven't seen these motherfuckers i mean every (laughs) fucking day like this is they're my blood man yeah like it's just different that way. And that's how we got through a lot of like political issues Mm -hmm. because one, we had friends from here that really stuck by us and friends in Pennsylvania, honestly, that really stuck by us. And two, we had each other. We just believed we all believed it and we didn't care. It was what the fuck it was. We would take whatever it was because it didn't matter because we, had that love for each other and like when you can look at the people around you and you really don't have those like negative thoughts towards them i mean you're i'm annoyed as shit by them but like just in terms (laughs) of like you know like true like i trust this person with my life yeah you know it to me it creates a different environment because i've because i'm with other bands man and there's a lot of friends in bands there's brother but they go they they leave and they go their separate ways and that's how their lives have to be but we don't have lives this is this is it, you know what I mean? It's like the equivalent of like a fucking professional athlete, but music. Yeah, it's like all day. That's it. Every day.
0: Yeah, like I guess the only thing that like you know most people have done from the age of fourteen till adulthood would be playing a professional sport. Like, there's, you know, it's not like you're a doctor from the age of fifteen or fourteen Dude, to today. It,
1: exactly, and it's the same people. When I met Reba when I was fourteen, I said to her. Well, do you want to join this band? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, but if you join, you cannot go to college. You have to quit after high school or else I need new people because I, I can't go through this again. <laughs> what I had gone through in middle school. <laughs> That's how psychotic I was. And she was just like, okay. And then we met Eric. And Eric commented on our uh, MySpace or something like, you guys fuck with Ska or something like that. <laughs> and uh, And he was in. And then, you know – We Joe was our best friend. He was in another band that was like there are actually these kids that are in this band, this emo band now that's called Brightside. They're actually a really great band, but uh they uh they they were our best friends. Like that was our fucking crew. It was us and them. And they had this band, this other band, and he was in that. Um, so we all just fucking rolled together and You know, Dominic, who's in the band now, he was like this weird-ass kid who Joe befriended who, who had gone to middle school and high school with me and Reba, and Reba and him grew up in the same neighborhood, this neighborhood Greenfield in Pittsburgh, and uh, so it's, it's been, there's been a couple people who were like in and out, but it's been the same people like the whole time, so like, even Dom, who just joined three years ago, I mean, I've known him my whole life, so I think that really helps build, you know, a foundation.
0: Oh, Definitely. Um, the other thing I've got to, and I've talked to you forever and I could talk to you for way longer, but would you come back for a part two at some point?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: But before I let you go, because we're both fans and we're both, uh, longtime fans. Uh, how did that relationship with WWE start?
1: Yeah, that was really fucking sick. So, okay. So it was, you know, I've obviously been a fan. You've known I've been a fan. I've been a fan since
0: we went on tour. Oh, we talked. Oh yeah, Absolutely.
1: And you know, I was just thinking, Adam Wiccaface, me and him were the we used to always talk about it all the time. now he's still a fan. Have you ever talked to him? Oh about he's his been shit?
0: A, yeah, he's been on the show. We've been a guest, okay. but you know, you know, Wiccaface does the music for Darby Allen, the wrestler, oh uh, yeah, of course, I know, yeah, yeah, of course so, so it's like uh, I don't know, it's like two people that once again, it goes back to that four way split. Now, two people from that split are influencing separate leagues oh, yeah. of pro wrestling. Oh yeah, we're running shit now. Is there we B- run WWE? Yeah, you're AEW. Yeah, exactly. Then you got a, you got crosstown beef. Dude, I I back it. I fucking love AEW. I
1: tell you what, I love that shit. But yeah, he used to always be like watching Japanese wrestling stuff like all the time. I remember being before. I, maybe it was before I was even into it. I think he's been into it for a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but um, how did the WWE shit come out? So we. Met that dude, Aleister Black, for one, and we had a good relationship with him. He introduced us at Download Fest in the UK because NXT was doing Download Fest. So I met him. He did this awesome introduction for us, and then we played. And so that kind of started our friendship. And so then Roadrunner was pushing hard to get Bleeding in the Blur or Song on our record to be the theme song for the NXT Takeover. And I guess Triple H heard it and liked it. And somehow the idea got kicked around for us to play it, but not only play it, to play the Alistair Black theme that uh that CFO and our buddies from Incendiary did. So with the singer of Incendiary singing. So we're like, yeah, that would be fucking awesome. So that was kind of the beginning of the whole thing. And we uh we dude, is, that is such a fucking insane story. So we get the call. First of all, they told us this three days before or something. They're completely psychotic with that shit. So like three days before, they tell us we have to figure it all out. We have to convince them for one. So we don't. We didn't at the time use any like click map or backing track shit or anything, right? Which to them is like insane. So. We had to convince them we were going to do this theme with all the samples and stuff, like all the vocal samples, with no backing track. Because we didn't know how to play to a click live. Yeah. So it was like, we, and dude, I'm so proud of what we did. We, so what we did is we spent all day and night recording a version, like a demo, where Shade would play all those little like WWE, like, ugh, and stuff like samples on his keyboard. Like, literally play it all live. Yeah. So... That's how we did it. We literally played it all live, the song. There was no tracks, no nothing. But uh, we had to convince them that that would be fine. And they were super cool about it. Uh, We showed up to this like Brooklyn rehearsal space at uh, the night before. And they had told us Triple H is going to come and he's going to watch you guys. We were like, what the fuck? So we're all sitting there waiting. And we're thinking he's not gonna come, he's not gonna come. This motherfucker shows up at like midnight in like a jean jacket with like one dude to this Brooklyn the night before their pay-per-view. Dude, and he just watches us fucking play. And my buddy Tyler, who's like my best friend in the world, who is a giant wrestling fan, and I'm almost scared to tell him anything because I'm scared he's gonna rap to Dave Meltzer when I tell him <laughs> shit. Cause he's like, he's been, he's been on, he's been on fucking Dave for his whole life he knows every he's like my fucking go-to he's basically a historian mm-hmm. so he i brought him with me of course because this is like the greatest shit ever so he's standing behind the guy who's with triple h like the producer dude and the guy says to him like while we're playing the song for him like we're doing a performance for triple h yeah. and that's it yeah and he says to the dude he's like he says on triple h he's like you could change anything like just let us know what you want to change and he looks somebody goes it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> That's and awesome. he's just fucking rocking out. And then we all stood in a fucking circle and talked. And he's the fucking greatest guy ever, which is the opposite of what I had heard throughout my whole life from being like a smart Mark wrestling fan. But that is dead to me now because of this. And I'm sure whatever he's done, I don't give a shit. He's the greatest guy I've ever met. He talked to us for like 30 minutes and about just like music and Just like us and whatever. So we played, we got there early, we rehearsed. I remember at one point I just look over and Roman Reigns is just watching us like rehearse and like we're talking to all the wrestlers. They put us in the locker room that was reserved for Brock Lesnar the next night. So it's like all of us are in one locker room and then the whole rest of the wrestlers are in another locker room together. So that made us look fucking terrible. And then like John Cena's back there. Dude, it was just such a whirlwind of like... here was the crazy part so this shit's live so it's like if we fucked up it's all fucked up they're cutting the video to our shit live we're on no tracks they've let us do it completely raw like nothing like punk style literally they let us do it that way and thank god we were sitting there in gorilla (laughs) before this shit's going on and i'm just like dude I was I was like about to have a heart attack to be honest. It was so fucking stressful. And oh, I also remember uh, one little other side thing. Yeah, so uh, Joe, we were rehearsing, and they said to do energy. Okay, like go for it. And it's just us playing for a ring full of wrestlers who are all running through their matches and stuff. And we're just doing the whole thing. And I remember Joe did like some big scream like, ah! and Ty, my buddy, runs up. He goes, "Tell Joe do that fucking scream again because they're gonna love that shit." We do it again. Road Dog sees it. In the in the thing, and he's like, Oh, dude, that what that guy's doing awesome. We gotta have Alistair walk out next to him and have him do that fucking big scream. And I was like, damn, Ty, you literally just booked like the main part of this performance because of your like f- your fan knowledge, <laughs> honest to God. And it worked, and that's what we did. It was insane. <laughs> it, so, so that was the first part of it. Sorry, tell me if I'm going too long. Dude, no, I,
0: what, what are you kidding
1: <laughs> me? Go on. So that was the first part of it. We did it. We did the song with Brendan from Incendiary. I remember we were back there with him, and he's like our really good friend. We played a million shows. We were both just like, what is going on? Like, why are we doing this? Why are Code Orange and Incendiary about to play the WWE like event? Like, the first band to ever play the NXT or whatever. So, we're sitting there. We fucking go out. We, we do it. It goes great. It, it was fucking amazing. It was like one of the greatest feelings I've ever had in my life. And, uh, yeah, like, he's walking through us for this entrance. And so we did it. We went back, talked to Triple H. He was like, this, you know, this isn't going to be the end, blah, blah, blah. So some time goes by. They show us a lot of support. You know, they, they repost us and stuff. And then you know, Bray Wyatt, at some point, he follows us on Twitter just some way. So I just – the way I am, and this is the way I do shit, is I just do whatever I think pretty much. I just go for it pretty much all the time for better and for worse. So I just went for it. I messaged him, and I was like, yo, I really feel we should do your song. Like I think we could totally do of an amazing because I knew he was doing a new character. I said, we need to do your song, man. And he wrote me back. He's like, I completely agree. You do need to do our, my song. And so he was like, Call me. And so I called him, and he was like, You know, we've gone through. You know, I've had these different artists try, but it's just not. It doesn't have this like raw vibe. And he's like, I want you guys to. He referenced a couple like pretty basic things like on the horror movie side. I think he referenced like Stranger Things and you know, you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like we and 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 some some horror stuff and we had a great talk and I I've been watching Bray Wyatt since he debuted. I mean, like with this first character. So I knew exactly what the fucking deal was. Like I knew the deal. It was in my soul. So this is what I did. I, he said you guys just go ahead and do it. He's like, I can't get permission, but if you guys can make a demo or something, we were about to go on tour with Slipknot in Europe. I knew again, from knowing wrestling, I knew if we go on this tour and don't have this song recorded and we, with, with no, because we hadn't gotten any permission, he could not get permission for them to give it to us. He couldn't get us anything samples because they basically had said no. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, if we go, then they will never use it. They will tell him the reason why we can't is because we're on tour and the timing won't work out. So the four days before we left for tour, we just sat there at my house all day and night. We wrote that rendition of the song. We watched his promos over and over. I made a whole list. It was like hurt, heal, all the stuff he was saying in the promos. Shade went to the YouTube video, sampled all the vocal samples from the YouTube video, Did them in the song. We made like the whole entrance, like the way we would imagine it would be, with the vocal samples, like the "Let Me In" and all that stuff. Yeah. And we sent it to him. It was like, you know, it was like our bootleg version of like a fucking WWE team. We recorded ourselves. I, I, we programmed drums, and I told my buddy Will Yip, bro, can you record these drums yourself, basically, and we'll do everything else direct, like the guitar and everything, into the computer. And so we did it all that way. He did a mix on it. Sent it to Bray, and Bray was like. This is, this is exactly what I want. I'm going to fight for it every single day until it happens. He fought for it. He fought for it. They said no. They said no. He came to Pittsburgh. Monday Night Raw was on a Monday. He came to Pittsburgh, I think, on a Saturday. We went to Permani Brothers. We, we got food. And I just cut like the promo of my life to him. I was like, you have to go talk to these people. And going back to my friend Ty, Ty told me to tell him to talk to Paul Heyman. Which, because I guess Paul Heyman's involved in the creative aspect now a lot. And I said, you got to talk to Paul Heyman, man. You have to talk to Paul Heyman. We have to make this fucking happen. This is your song. This is going to make this thing. And he was he was all fucking fired up. And he was like, let's go. He went and he made it happen. Literally like four <laughs> days, he talked to Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman convinced Vince, who had originally said no, I guess, from what I'd heard. And... You know, I don't really know. Maybe none of that true. I've just heard that through the grapevine. But I think Vince just maybe didn't like didn't hear it or didn't like or something. And he convinced them. And then we get the fucking you know, we get the thing like a couple days before. Okay, they're going with it. And we're just like, What do you mean they're going with it? Like this version that we did? Like with the bootleg samples? (laughs) Like literally all the shit we just ripped off YouTube. And like, yep, we're going with it. And that was it. And it came on and it was literally one of the most mind blowing like experiences ever. And it's led to a lot of insane insane things including seeing stone cold like being next to stone cold and hanging out with stephanie mcmahon and just psychotic shit i can't even like think about it right now
0: Yeah, the ultimate fan kind of uh you know dream
1: bro like beyond i mean it's it's ridiculous and he's such a great guy dude he's so down with everything and he just he wanted you know bray wanted to wanted us to just shine and do our thing he's like if you do your thing he he told me then he was like i really feel like you guys are really special like something about you guys to me is special i don't want anyone else to do this song you have to do this. So that was him. He was telling me that over and over, and it just got me motivated, man. And we we strapped down and just record, We recorded that whole song ourselves and did everything ourselves. We actually, oh, that one more part is, you know, in the middle of the night, one night when Will Yip was done with the session, we drove six hours to Philly. Me and Reba recorded the vocals of the song from like midnight to five a.m. And then we drove home, and that was the vocals on the song because that was the only time either of us had. So it's just shit like that that I feel like paid off you know and then the next thing i know me and rebar front row at madison square garden we're backstage eating with Braun struman and bray and we're like you know i'm walking around the corner and we see triple h and stephanie and me and rebar like we're not gonna fucking bother them they don't want to talk to us at madison square garden like come on right we walk by him and triple h literally grabs me and stops us and he's like you, you guys come on you guys gotta talk to me and, was, and he talks to us for like 15 minutes it was insane.
0: Yeah, I was just like,
1: it was insane. It gave us a hug, and so he's a great guy, man. So I'm, I hope that uh, you know, there was talk of us playing uh, WrestleMania, and uh, when that didn't happen, that really broke my soul. Yeah. That's the whole part of this that has really broken my
0: soul the most. So, yeah. well, there's always next year, right? Like they got to.
1: we'll get, we'll get there, we'll yeah. get there. I mean, it, nothing was like set up for sure, but and we would, you know. I'm sure they wouldn't mind to say, but yeah, I think there was hope that we would do that. And that would have been definitely, that would have been it. I think after that, I would have to just like ride off into the sunset. <laughs> I mean, like who the fuck gets to do that?
0: Lemmy you know and in Lincoln Park and let me in. And, or, well, Lemmy and, and code fucking orange. And baby. code orange. And that's it.
1: That's it. And that's it. So we'll see. I might've just fucked it up, but hopefully not.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I, I think, I think if anything, it's like, you know, like I am, you, you manifest destiny to it. You know, I am king all over again.
1: I, dude, I swear to God, it's true. I mean, that's weird. Yeah, we, we we just, we went for it. That one, we just, I just went for it. I just felt like, man, dude, us doing this guy's song is perfect. Like This is what has to happen. You know, it makes so much sense. Like, I know what this guy wants. I know what he wants.
0: You know, I've been watching it. I know, you know, and we were right. So I
1: was, I was happy about that.
0: Well, Jamie, this has been amazing, and uh, I just got to thank you again for coming on the show, and I can't wait for part two.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry for just talking to you all, but I appreciate
0: it. Thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show, and and Jamie will be back for part twos and, and whatnot in the future, but I'm very stoked that I got to catch up with Jamie now. And don't forget to check out the brand new Code Orange record underneath Uh, a fantastic album. Once again, this band, you know, just does their own thing and and keeps doing different and new things. And yeah, so remember to check out that album uh, now. It's available now. Uh, Next week on the show, we're going, Pittsburgh week is over next week on the show. So we got to go way away from Pittsburgh. Next week, we don't really have a theme for the podcast, but we do have Katie Harkin from the amazing Skylarkin, also plays with Sleater Kinney, also played with Courtney Barnett, played with many people, but she has a brand new solo record that's fantastic. And we're going to talk all about it on the next episode of the show. Until then, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Sign your organ donor card. Stay inside. Stay safe if you can. Uh, If you have to go to work, uh, thank you for doing what you do, and, and hopefully you're okay. And that's it. I will see you on the next episode. Bye!